All right, what is going on, guys? What is happening? I am just waiting for my guests to arrive. Join the room. In the meantime, I thought I'd just play some tunes. So, what is this? Yaman, Shaman, Shaman Eyes. This is a song that I can commercially use for free. I've got my green tea here. So, let's start. Oh, there we go. Here we go. All right, my guest has now joined the mix. Hello, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for joining the the stream. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's great, uh, great to be here. I just had some music playing on in the background, um, so uh, I thought I'd just get the get get the vibes going. So. Love it. <laughs> And, and and that song's actually a shaman that, that that's actually a shaman song. So I thought um it would be it would build a bit of context into today's conversation. Um sorry to kind of put you on the fly. Um but do you mind explaining uh like your background to people at home? Cordell. Yeah, sure. First of all, my name is Cordell Jacks and uh I've spent uh, most of my career in social innovation worked in international development and social finance, but I've also spent a great deal of my adult life working on dream work practices. And dream work practices are really learning how to connect with our dream time, learning how to utilize our dreams at night uh, to really improve our waking life. And recently in the last years of my life, I've really doubled down on this practice. I've connected this with a lot of work and psychedelics and personal development and self-development and exploration to help myself and now help others really understand how they can make the most of these nocturnal musings of the night. I think there's a lot to unpack and there's a lot of information that I want to go over. Um, so why is it so important that we have a dream coach or yeah, what's, what's the importance of, of being able to dream well? Yeah, well, really, our dreams are kind of like an interface between our conscious mind and our subconscious mind. And why that's really important is because 95% of the decisions we make and the habits we have are unconscious to us. They are habitual. They are underneath the surface. And so if our lives are dictated by actions and decisions that are mostly unconscious to us, and we want to change parts of our life, then we need access to our subconscious mind. We need access to what's lying beneath the surface. And, you know, as a human species, our superpower is that we are storytellers. We are our stories. And what that means is we can create fabulously beautiful stories for our life, but as well when things aren't going the way that we want them to, or we want to live into a greater potential for ourselves, that means we need to rejigger our stories. We need to adjust them. And sometimes our stories, unbeknownst to us, are really made of a lot of our limiting beliefs. You know, these things that we've picked up over our lives, uh, experiences, maybe traumas, whatever it may be, just going through life day to day, we pick up experiences that give us limiting beliefs. That can go anywhere from, you know, I don't deserve this or, you know, scarcity mindsets around money or health or relationships and all of these things limit the potential that we can live into. So when we want to change any of these stories, 
we need to get down into the root beliefs that actually nurture and create these stories for us. And if we want to shift them, one of the best ways to do that is by looking to our dream time, by looking to this often overlooked aspect of our lives, these two hours that we spend dreaming every night, and look for what messages, what meanings want to come to us in the service of our growth. What stories are actually limiting uh, to us? How can we look at different opportunities and choices to shift these stories and then ultimately enable them, live them into waking life? And so dreams are like an internal guidance system. And so a lot of the work dream coaches teach people, one, how to remember their dreams, two, how to start working with these images of the night. What do you do with them? And well, once you can remember your dreams, and once you start remembering them, how do you interpret them? How do you make meaning of the messages that are coming? And then ultimately, how do you start making greater choices for your life based on these messages? Wow. Okay. Uh, it yeah. It sounds just just for my mind to understand. Is there any practical examples that you have uh, of working with clients or working with people? How you were able to yeah tap into that subconscious? Do you have any practical examples? Yeah, quite a few. You know, a big part of my work is I have a lot of people who come to me with dreams that have really emotionally stirred them. They've woken up sometimes from a nightmare, and I'm sure you had a nightmare in your life. You know how emotionally stirring that can be. You wake up, you know, overwhelmed, feeling fear, feeling anxiety, whatever it might be, and they don't know what to do with that experience. And so they come to me and say, hey, can you help me try and make some sense of this experience? And you know, in these sessions, I call them dream interpretation sessions, but it's a really bad word for what I do because I don't interpret anything. I don't believe anyone can interpret your dreams but you. I just help ask a lot of questions that you may not be asking yourself. And when I ask questions to people about these experiences, oftentimes what we find is that right underneath our noses is a blind spot, is a limiting belief that we haven't been noticing. And just by looking at an aspect of our life, let's say it's something to do with relationships. I keep dating the woman or I keep dating the guy that is wrong for me. Why do I keep making these same decisions? And usually what we find by playing with the dream and, and really it is a form of play is that our dreams, when we take on the roles of other characters in our dreams, when we look at the scenes and contexts and settings of our dreams, are trying to point again to a story or limiting belief. So a great example is a, a client I had recently who came to me with a nightmare, said, you know, this has really affected me. I've actually had this nightmare a couple of times, a recurring nightmare. And when we started to unpack it and play with it, what we saw was that, yeah, I, I ejected myself out of the dream. I woke up because I didn't know what to do in this situation. And it's very similar to waking life. Anytime I'm I find myself in a situation where I'm triggered this way, I just freeze. I go into fight right. or flight, freeze mode. And so we play with the dream and we say, okay, what, what else might the dream be giving you options? Let's do some imaginative play here. And if you were fully lucid, if you were able to be fully conscious in the dream, what would you do differently? And just the act of often playing with the dreams and imagining different solutions empowers the dreamer to look at different choices and options they can make in their waking life when they're triggered in the same way. And so really dream work is also just a form of imaginative play. How do we exercise our imaginations to a greater extent so that we can live with more empowered choices in our day-to-day -day waking lives? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to reflect back on uh, on one dream that I had. Uh, I, I feel like my dreams, I feel like I'm trying to control the situation too much. And I, I heard something somewhere saying that um, there was, I can't remember who said it, but they said that in your dreams, you should just allow allow everything to be to a certain extent. I don't know. I could be wrong on this. Um, I'd like to get your opinion on that. Like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to control too much in my dreams. I'm trying to make things happen all the time. And uh, yeah, what's your opinion? What's your take on that? Yeah, so it's a great question. There's kind of a number of different schools of thought on this. All around the world, different lineages, different peoples have different beliefs about dreaming. You know, for a, a large number of, of lineages, people just say, let the dreams happen. See what messages your unconscious or the collective unconscious or source or your higher self, however you want to frame it to yourself, let those messages come to you, listen, and then try and work with them, try and interpret them. And that's, you know, a great thing for most people to do. For those people that are interested in learning how to consciously work with their dreams, what is also known as lucid dreaming, you can, we can learn, we can train ourselves to actually become aware that we're dreaming within a dream. And that's a very empowering state because ultimately at the root of that, we are taking what is otherwise an unconscious state, dreams where we're usually just a witness to it, and we are turning it into not just a conscious state, but a super conscious state, what most people describe as the most conscious feelings they've ever had. And so lineages like Tibetan- Wait, can I just can I just intercept you there, sorry? Um when you said super, I'm just fascinated with the word super consciousness. Uh, can you elaborate into that? Sorry, sorry to divert. Not at all. So, can, can I ask you, have you ever had a lucid dream before? Where you I'm going to say dream? yes. I'm going to say, like, what, what is the definition of lucid dreaming? Is it like you're able to control yourself in your dream? Is that is that what, what you're asking? Yeah, good question. So, there's degrees of lucidity, but ultimately, it's being aware that you are dreaming within right. a dream and exercising some intent in the dream. Okay. So uh, all of a sudden you realize, holy cow, this is a dream. I want to fly. I know that I'm not constrained by waking reality, by gravity. So I'm gonna do something extraordinary. I'm gonna do something beyond regular conscious uh, experience. And so it becomes a super conscious experience when you can all of a sudden fly, when you can all of a sudden shift the dream into another dreamscape. You know, people oftentimes in the beginning want to seek pleasure. They want to, uh, as I say, <laughs> frolic or fly. And when, when you have these experiences in the beginning, you go on, okay, I want to fly. I've defied gravity. Okay, now I want to make love to the woman I, or the man or the, the many women and men that I've always wanted to. You start having these beyond wow. real experiences. And so that's why I say they're super conscious experiences. And what most people report and, and most people can learn to lucid dream, and there's very few that, that, that can't get this practice down. But most people say these experiences feel more real than any experience I've ever had in waking life. Yeah. Oh, well, I wonder. So is there any way to get this super consciousness in, in normal life, in um, everyday awake life? Like that, that, I think that would be something to strive for, a goal to strive for. Yeah, that's, that's ultimately why we practice lucid dreaming. We are trying to go from an unconscious state to, to a super conscious state. 
most of us every day in waking life go unconscious again and again and again. Our mind wanders. We stop just being present. We're thinking about the past. We're thinking about the future. And this practice of being uber present, this practice of living life as if you were lucid, as if you could do anything right now, staying in this, okay, maybe I can't defy the laws of gravity, but if I could do anything I wanted, what would I do? And acting as if is ultimately how we become lucid in our waking life, how we take every moment as if, okay, I may not be able to fly, but I'm going to make the absolute most of this moment, of this conversation we're having, of this breath that I'm taking. And so really, lucidity practices, dream work practices are ultimately a form of mindful awareness. And what are all the, the lineages, traditions, and techniques of mindful awareness? But to be conscious, to be aware, to be present, to be fully in the now. Right. Wow. That's powerful. And do do you have what's the what's the trippiest experience you've ever had whilst in a dream state? <laughs> we can we can spend hours talking about this. But you know, when when I started learning to lucid dream, I, I did it by accident. I wasn't, uh, and most people have this experience. Oftentimes, when they're teenagers, uh, one night I just woke up within my dream, realized, holy cow, I'm dreaming, and started to fly. I've heard about this. I, I just started to take off and it felt incredible. I could feel the wind blowing through my hair. Then I started practicing techniques so I could induce lucid dreams again and again. And after some practice, and this was maybe years of practice, it doesn't necessarily need to take that long, but for me, it was after many years of experimenting and trying different things in this limitless state. One night I realized in the dream, okay, it's kind of like that scene in the matrix when Neo and, and Morpheus are fighting in the dojo, he says, is that really oxygen that you're breathing or is that really air that you're breathing? And I realized, hey, why do I need to hold on to my sense of self? Why do I need to be Cordell in this dream? I could be anyone, I could be two Cordells. I could be a multiplicity of consciousnesses. In fact, why do I even want to be human? Why don't I learn to perceive in ways that are beyond the five senses? I'm not really seeing, I'm not really hearing. So let's expand my awareness beyond these senses. And all of a sudden I became Buffalo running through the plains and I was a herd of Buffalo and it was an incredible experience. And while I was in that state, I was like, wait a minute, I don't even need to be a living sentient being. I wanna become the ocean. And all of a sudden, and this is where it gets hard to speak about because our communication is based on our five senses and we're going beyond sensory here. I became the ocean and it was just this, this infinite state. And then as I was there, I was like, why not become the universe? And so from there, I, I can't explain anything to you other than it was the most incredible energetic state that I awoke from, tears streaming down my face. And that energy stuck with me for weeks. It's it's still with me. Anytime I think of that experience, it's it's one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And so having these these other than waking conscious experiences, just expand your maps, expand your perception, expand your imagination to what it is, for what it is to perceive in different ways. And ultimately, if we wanna create greater choices for our life, we gotta get out of our habitual ways of perceiving. We gotta look at unhabitual ways of, look, of, of, of seeing the world, look at right. different ways, different perspectives. Ultimately, the greater the perspectives, the greater the choice, and when we have more choice, we're less of a victim. 
And that's that's what I want for for you, for me, for all of us is to to be empowered, to not be victims of life, to victims of relationship, but to be empowered in every moment of every day. Right. I want to kind of uh, pull it back a bit and and try and find out a little bit more of you as a person. Uh, so you, you're from a Vancouver Island in Canada. Is that correct? I'm originally from central Canada, from Winnipeg, uh, Winterpeg as it's known, but I, I've been out here on Vancouver Island for several years on the West Coast. West Coast. Okay. And I, I'm just curious, how did you get involved in this in this line of work? What what was the, 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 the uh, story behind everything? Yeah. So originally, I, I'm a business guy. I went into finance. I got into social finance and international development and ocean plastics work. But all throughout, when I was about 20, I was dating a woman whose, whose mom happened to be one of the world's foremost dream psychologists. And she started telling me and teaching me about dream work. And so I was fascinated. And throughout these past 20 years, I've just, every spare moment, I've read everything I could. I've gone to teachers around the world, learning about dream work practices from around the world. And uh, a few years ago, I actually went into an ayahuasca ceremony, a, a plant medicine ceremony. And for three nights straight, I went in there to work on some trauma that I had when I was 11 years old. But for three nights straight, I, I received these visions, which were, hey, start sharing everything you've been learning about dream work. And I kind of thought, well, I'm just, I'm escaping. I'm, I'm not, I'm trying not to do the hard work of going into these old wounds and experiences. My mind is just trying to think about something else. So I didn't know what to do with these, these three nights of visions. And then about six months later, I became lucid in a dream and I was in front of my 11 year old self, my inner child, you could say. And in that moment, I just saw this little boy who was afraid, who was, you know, insecure. And I just told him, none of this is your fault. You are loved. Everything is going to be okay. I embraced this little boy and we just dissolved into each other. And when I awoke again, tears streaming down my face, it was the most profound healing experience of my life and everything shifted, my perspectives on everything. And I kind of woke up and went, aha, okay. I've been going, I've been worked with psychologists. I've gone to plant medicine ceremonies. I've done breath work. I've done all sorts of modalities. I now see that we have ceremony every single night of our lives if we learn how to use it right. That's what I want to share with others. And so ultimately about two years ago, I, I followed this, this dream and I've been coaching others, running courses, doing, you know, dream interpretation work and sharing everything I've been able to learn these past 20 years with others so that they can take advantage of creativity, healing, you know, uh, role rehearsal, all sorts of things that dreams give us access to. Okay. Is there any specific diet that you recommend or any nutritional advice that you usually give to your clients? Oh. Yeah, so the, the first one is sleep is the most important thing we can possibly do for our overall health. So dreams aside, get seven to eight hours of sleep. The research is in, it's, you know, it's undoubtedly true. When we get seven to eight hours of sleep, it's the best thing we can do for our physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health. Yeah. And when we get seven to eight hours of sleep, that's when we get the most amount of dreaming. We dream in what's known as REM cycles, the rapid eye movement cycles, that time at night when we are in the deepest sleep, when our body is paralyzed, except for our eyes. That's why they call it rapid eye movement. And we go through cycles of this every 90 minutes or so. 
the beginning of the night, these cycles are about five minutes long, whereas towards the seventh or eighth hour of sleep, we get 20 minutes of dream cycles. That's why most people can remember their dreams just before they wake up. It's the biggest amount of dream, the most impactful, the biggest, uh, the, the most in-depth. And so getting seven to eight hours of sleep ultimately means you get more dream time and you can make more out of your dreams. The other pieces I would say is, you know, there's, there's certain things to get better sleep, which is, you know, sleep in a cool, dark room, keep it dark, keep it cool. Our bodies regulate and, and recuperate better. Um, you know, unfortunately, marijuana, alcohol, uh, these things can definitively diminish our dreams. So I'm not saying don't drink, don't, don't use marijuana, but uh, know that they have an impact. And, you know, for those of us that have learned the, the, the fantastic utility of dreams, it's a conscious decision of when to have a drink or when to have a joint, because ultimately that takes away their sacrifice in doing that. And so the other piece is really just to try and get to sleep at the same time every night. We are a habitual creature. And if you start to say, okay, can't do it every night, obviously, but 10 p.m., 11 p.m., whatever it is, this is my bedtime. I'm going to try and wind down. I'm going to try and clear my head before bed, let go of the energy and the emotional processing of the day, not worry about tomorrow. I'll pick all that stuff up again when I wake up in the morning. Now's my time to clear my antenna, become centered, be open and receptive to the dreams that are going to come. And ultimately, dream work is a super, super playful process. You get to have bookends on your day. You go to sleep going, I want to dream. I want to have these fantastical experiences. And you wake up trying to recall your dreams, looking at your dreams, remembering all these fantastical experiences. And so starting and ending your days playfully like this is a great way to set the tone for your days. Is it possible to, let's say you're learning a skill, let's say you're learning how to paint, fish or hike or some sort of skill, are you able to recall that in your dream and actively work on it? Yeah, so I used to use lucid dreams quite a bit for my professional career. I'd have to give a lot of public presentations. And although you know I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in presenting, there would be times where it would be a high stakes, high pressure, uh, presentation. And so in the week leading up to that presentation, I would intend to have a lucid dream about that presentation. I would intend before going to bed to practice my speech in that dream. And so by the time I actually had to give that speech in waking life, I had done it a number of times in a virtual reality, a fully embodied virtual experience wow. in my dream. Form. And it felt it felt second nature. It was not a question of if I could do it well. I'd already done it well. Now it was how well could I do it. What was the outcome? How did you go? Yeah, pretty fantastic. <laughs> and, you know, interestingly enough, there's a lot of Olympic athletes who have have come onto this. We all know visualization is a great process for sports for anything we want to do. And so dreaming is like working with your dreams in this way, especially lucid dreaming. Is like entering a virtual reality machine. It's deeply embodied. We can practice if you're a, you know, a, a high diver, practice your flips and routines in the dreams. Feel every muscle, feel every movement. If you're skiing down a mountain, see every mogul or see every flag, whatever it might be. It is, it is far more deeply embodied visualization than we can just do in our waking imaginative minds. So it's proving to be a fantastically uh, a fantastic accelerator for any kind of training that's out there and, and a lot of people are catching on. Right. Okay. And 
just kind of I I usually play a bit of tennis, and I know that sometimes if I'm visualizing myself, if I'm kind of visualizing hitting the ball uh, on the line, I feel like there's more chance of it happening. I don't know what if there's if it's a coincidence. I don't know if it's the yeah as you said the visualization ability, but uh, yeah I, I yeah I do believe in it. It, it is definitely very powerful. And you hear well, a lot of professionals. You hear a lot of professionals talking about it. So, yeah, there, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great research out there. Uh, I can't remember which university. I think it was the University of Chicago. Uh, one of the universities in the United States. They got uh, two different teams of basketball players to go up. One one team. They got practicing th- throwing free throws every day for a week for a number of hours. They got another team to just visualize throwing free throws. For the same amount of time every week the team that actually visualized did better and there's there's a lot of keys to that visualizing it doing it correctly every time versus you know making the actual mistakes actually improved it actually changed our 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 nervous system it changed our muscle memory to be doing that better lucid dreaming is just a fantastic accelerant to that to practice whatever you want to do and there's there's so many cases of Albert Einstein, Gandhi, Salvador Dali, musicians from around the world who start to use this their dream time to enable their creativity, to open up their perception, to think non-linearly, non-rationally about whatever the challenge they're working on is. And it's it's ultimately shifted humanity. It's shifted civilization as we know it. What do uh, nightmares generally refer to what what is there, are there any i know it's probably a complicated question to answer but fr- from a general sense what what do nightmares mean yeah so i like to first of all say that there's there's no such thing as a bad dream now a lot of people may balk at that and say well you've never woken up from a dream sweating crying screaming oh i i have for sure the question is the perspective we take on it so nightmare usually is pointing towards some story, some way of perceiving life around us that is no longer serving us. And so if you are, a nightmare is like, again, this inner guidance system, your your higher self, your subconscious mind is trying to show you something. You may not remember your dreams every night, but you always remember a nightmare. And so nightmares are this way of your, your inner mind searing a dream into you, emotionally searing this into your mind saying, don't forget this, there's something you need to look at here. And so interestingly enough, 90% of nightmare cases, there are some exceptions with PTSD and other trauma, trauma related experiences, but 90% of nightmares when worked with, with a, with a therapist, a coach, a psychologist, anyone often lead to insights about an underlying unresolved issue in someone's life. So I always say nightmares are actually the greatest gift our dreams can give us. They serve up on a silver platter the things that we most need to look at that we are most likely not looking at in life. If we were looking at it, we'd make changes and we do that in waking life. Because these things are often in a blind spot, they're often a limiting belief that is either going to psychologically hurt us or maybe even physiologically hurt us, they got to catch our attention and a nightmare catches our attention. So then the question is, what do you do with it? Well, you start to look at where do things turn dark in the nightmare? What happened in the dream? And then all of a sudden, where did things go sour? And where did you eject yourself out of the dream? Often ejecting ourselves back into waking life is we are overwhelmed. We didn't have the, the, the intellectual or the emotional capacity or tools 
to be able to handle the situation. So our dreams, our nightmares are preparing us. It's like threat rehearsal. When this happens, not if this happens, but when a situation like this is triggered in waking life, you need to be prepared to think differently, to act in a non-habitual way, to not do the same things you've always done. When you play with your nightmares, when you look at them, like we said, when we imagine different choices for ourselves, we now have options as to how we can act differently and how we might resolve these limiting beliefs for ourselves. Right. Okay. What, and this, I'm just, I've just got the audience in mind and if anybody's listening right now and they, and they want to start lucid dreaming or having these experiences, are there, is there any advice you would recommend uh, for people at home just to get started? Yeah, one of the, the first best things we can do to lucid dream is to take our cell phones and to set an alarm five to ten times throughout the day. There's actual research done at Stanford Lucidity Lab, a Lucidity Institute, where they've tested this. If you have an alarm go off five to ten times a day, that's kind of the golden zone. Every time this alarm goes off, turn it off and ask yourself, am I awake or am I dreaming? So let me ask you right now, are you awake or are you dreaming? I'm awake. How do you know? Uh, good question. Um, well, I don't know. I feel awake. Uh, I don't know. That's that's pretty much my answer to that. I feel awake. I don't know. See, this, this, this is the challenge. Our minds through the history of civilization have come to assume we are always awake. This is real. It's too cognitively taxing to always question our reality. You know, when you're chasing yeah. being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, it's not a time to question, could this be a dream? Am I in a trance? Did I eat some weird mushrooms? No, we always just assume this is real. And so the same thing happens in our dream time. Even when a pink elephant flies by us, we just go, oh yeah, this is real. We make sense. We assume this is real. What we need to do is get out of this habitual default mode of thinking, which is everything is real by having alarms and checking our reality. The simple act of checking our reality, questioning our reality five to, time to 10 times a day, ultimately plants seeds in our mind, in our psyche to start doing that when we're dreaming. And all of a sudden, you do this for a week or two, all of a sudden you'll find yourself doing reality checks in your dreams. Am I awake or am I dreaming? And then we do tests. Well, if I asked you to say, am I awake? If I asked you to check if you're awake or dreaming right now, you could check, well, are the laws of gravity upholding themselves? Well, that pen just dropped. Yeah, I think gravity is real, so I'm probably awake. Can I see detail in any of the objects around me? Yeah, I can see in my microphone a lot of detail. In dreams, when we look at detail, the dream shifts. It's very hard to notice and focus in on something. How did I get into this room? Where was I before I started this podcast? Well, I know I was out in my kitchen and getting a glass of water, and that's when I came into the room. When we ask ourselves in a dream, how did I get here? Oftentimes we can't remember. So when we set these, these alarms, question, am I awake or am I asleep? Do a quick reality test on gravity, details, or location. Then we will start doing this in our dreams. And when we start doing this, we might look at the details in our hands and see there's actually 10 fingers on this one hand. And that will be the cue to become lucid. Wow, I'm dreaming. Now what do I want to do? 
Yeah, I don't know. Really know where to go from there. Shit, that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> you've you've got me speechless there. Um, well, well okay. Let, let, let me just say, say this. Uh, you know, the, the the rabbit hole goes pretty deep here because once you start enabling yourself to access this very regular altered state of consciousness that you go into every night, it becomes a more and more important part of your life. And so all of a sudden, you know, some of us might go to ayahuasca ceremonies or smoke a joint or take some mushrooms or do Wim Hof breathing or free dive or do anything that takes us into flow states or altered states so that we have these peak experiences. When you start doing this every night, this becomes an incredibly important part of your life. And you start to recognize, wow, I am a multi-conscious being. I'm not just waking consciousness. A very important part of my life is dreaming consciousness, this altered state as well. It brings meaning to my life. It brings insight. It helps me prepare for waking life. Waking life helps me prepare for lucid experiences that are beyond anything in waking life. And so your overall maps of experience in life become greater and grander. And I think there's something beautiful in that, in recognizing that we are a multi-conscious species. We need to take advantage of all these different states of consciousness to grow our mental maps, to grow, you know, the meaning we make and relationships we have with each other. And ultimately, you know, to some of the existential threats that we face as a civilization today, you know, a big part of that is becoming a little less material and being in dream state, being a little ethereal, illusory, spiritual in that state and embodying that as part of a big, an important aspect of your lived experience really shifts who we are as a species. How's that for a rabbit hole? <laughs> that was, um, uh, yeah, I don't know what, I don't know which rabbits are down there, but there's certainly some, some cool rabbits down there. Yeah. I, um, kind of bringing it back to your history there. I, I'm, I'm curious to find out your, your experience, uh, with, with Egypt, um, the Buddhisms and now uh, Toltec, um, yeah. So, you know, interestingly, um, you know, even dovetailing off what we were just saying there, most lineages and most societies around the world, and even to date throughout the history of mankind or humankind, I should say, have been polyphasic. That means honoring all states of consciousness, whatever okay. comes in dream, in shamanic ceremony, in waking life, in trance, any knowledge that comes from these states are revered and important. Here in North America, when we look at indigenous communities, their most important ceremonies came to them in dream time. They have built societies and cultures around this. We've done this all around the world again and again. And so when we look at the vast history of our planet and notice that, hey, a lot of where we come from is in honoring these states, honoring these visions, honoring in the, these ideas and insights that come from this, well, Let's continue to do that. It's done us quite well so far. So when we look at, you know, the Buddhists, they, when we talk about dream yoga, practicing lucid dreaming is ultimately a practice for become, what are we, what are we when we are not attached to our body? How do we prepare for that ultimate dream at the end of time, our, our deaths here, as we go to, as the Buddhists would think of it, the bardo state. What do we do when we are not attached to our body? Are we going to freak out and, you know, lose it? Or are we going to go, I'm used to practicing this, this ethereal state. 
Now, what do I want to make with this? And they believe that, you know, they're, they're tested, you know, your attachments, your aversions, uh, you got, yeah, you've got some attachments. Great. Back into the karmic cycle for the next round until you learn to let go of these things. And, you know, in dreaming, just like the, the story I shared with you, let go of perception, the way you perceive it, let go of these eyes that you see from these ears, this Cordell body that you have. Let go of that and see where you can go not attached. And ultimately, most uh, wisdom traditions, it's all about non-attachment. So it's a, it's a great practice ground for what they believe is the next chapter after these waking days. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you mentioned something on your website. I'd like to, if, if you can, um, elaborate on this information. Uh, so ways to push and play with the mind through mindfulness training, vipassana meditation, extreme and endurance sports, fasting and breath work. Do you mind um, elaborating on that statement, please? Yeah, sure. So uh, these are all things that were, were part of my toolkit. You know, I used to be an Ironman triathlete, uh, an ultra-endurance runner, and you know a lot of those practices were mindful practices wim hof breathing vipassana you know sitting for 10 days in meditation just being aware of your body your mind chatter same thing in an iron man you know when you get to running 26 miles of 42k your mind starts to be starts out as your friend and then becomes your enemy oh i shouldn't do this i should quit i i'm in lots of pain and you need to learn to embrace that mental chatter, you need to become present in the moment, not worry about how I'm going to feel a kilometer down the road, not worry about what's there, but just being super, super present. So I always say that, you know, lucid dreaming or dream work practices is just a way of, of really practicing this. When we do these alarm checks through, throughout the day, okay, am I awake or am I asleep? Well, I do a reality check. I seem to be awake and I'm going to act as if I'm lucid. I'm going to be fully present and aware. That's a great practice. The more we do that, the more that becomes habituated for us. And so practices that I used to get into, you know, I didn't know I was chasing flow states. I didn't know I was chasing higher states of consciousness. I was chasing maybe endorphins. I was chasing egoic needs of wanting to finish an Ironman. I, you know, these things, but all of them were, were teaching tools for me to understand, okay, my body is my friend until it hurts. My mind is my friend until it turns against me. My motivation, my spirit, my connection beyond that is something I can go deeper and deeper into to override all these functions. And dream work is just the same. As you start to work with your dreams, you realize, ha, I'm dreaming. Everything here is an illusion. Well, most wisdom traditions offer the same thing. When we learn to see all of this as an illusion, not in a nihilistic way, not that it's meaningless, but that I don't need to be attached. This is illusory. Mind is universe. And my mental chatter, my affirmations, the way I respond and react to the things going on matters. And yet I, it doesn't matter. It gives you an empowered state to play, to create, to just empoweredly walk through your days again and again. Wow. You touched on an Ironman experience. I'm just curious about that that experience that you had. Um, yeah, do you mind sharing that that time in your life? Sure, yeah. So I, I was uh, an endurance athlete. I, I played all the sports, and I, I really got into endurance uh, athleticism for a number of years. And then uh, 
at one point I was out for a six hour run one day and I had a pain in my knee and uh, turned out, yeah, I had to have a surgery. I had multiple surgeries and I was in bed for nine months after five surgeries and they were all unsuccessful. And to this date, I still can't run. You know, I, I but do you think I, that I was the do you think that was the result of the six hour run or was it um, something else? I don't know. Well, I mean, from definitively, I, I had you know football injuries from when I was uh, younger. I had ACL repairs, so uh, definitely endurance sports didn't help any of the stability of the knee. But from a from a spiritual standpoint, you know, I was living in Cambodia. I was working across Asia and Africa, North America, Europe. I was running around continuously. I was making sense of change through constant motion. And from a very spiritual perspective, I kind of look at this disability, this this loss of running, this loss of my knee, as maybe the universe saying, hey, it's time to sit down, settle down, and rather than running around outwardly, to go inward. And that's been one of the greatest gifts of my life. Rather than searching for meaning externally, I'm starting to explore my inner world and find that it's so much more nourishing than any award, any job, any entitlement possibly could. And, and that's been the biggest gift, one of the biggest gifts in my life. It's brought me to fatherhood, which is truly the biggest gift in my life. It's brought me to these contemplative practices and it's brought me to a place where, you know, for humbly the little that I know, I'm able to have a really positive effect in helping people explore, you know, th their themselves, explore past their limiting beliefs, open themselves up to wider states of consciousness and, and wider ways of being. So I'm grateful for that. Wow. That, yeah, that was an impressive story. Um, what? Uh, can, can, I, can I share one more piece on that? Sure. Well, just, you know, losing my knee was was destabilizing it, it was hard i had to grieve you know i was i was depressed that i couldn't do the things that were such a part of my identity and ultimately um after some time i realized hey i can still run in my dreams and so i intended to have lucid dreams where i was running and one night after intending this a big practice with dream work is setting intentions before bed for the type of dreams you want to have or the types of problems you want to try to solve, set an intention to go for a run. I found myself all of a sudden aware that I was dreaming, looking down from my own point of view at my body, running through the streets of Phnom Penh in Cambodia where I used to live, running along the riverside. I could see my chest heaving. I could see sweat dripping. I woke up from this dream panting, sweating, and ear-to-ear -ear smile just feeling wonderful that I got to experience hard running again. And although I can't do that in waking life anymore, that didn't, you know, piss me off more. It actually supported my grieving process, my letting go. And also, again, I, I can do anything in this state. Although yeah. we're all going to lose our faculties sooner or later as we get older, can we learn to explore them to even greater depths? Again, not attached to this waking material world that we live in. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm on the same side as you. Um, all right. Well, uh, it's coming up to we've almost hit the 45-minute mark. Um, I might uh, almost oh, – oh, well, I'm thinking about finishing it off on how can people reach you and how can people find out more about you. Yeah, thanks so much for offering. Uh, 
My, my name is again, Cordell Jackson. My website is Cordell, C-O-R-D-E-L-L-J-A-C-K-S.com. And that's that's my dream coaching site. I'm sure we can link that. And yeah, I'll uh, put a link in the, yep. link in the description. Find, yeah, on Instagram, I'm Cordell.Jax. Uh, you can find me on Facebook as well, Cordell Jax Dream Coach. And on my site is all my, co my courses that I offer, the one-on-one -on -one dream interpretation work. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and I do uh, private client coaching. So starting to work with corporations whose teams are working on problems and want to utilize design thinking, creativity, innovation, inspiration, imagination to help solve these problems. And hey, rather than dreaming just being downtime, just being unconscious time, again, let's utilize the one third of our life that we find asleep for super consciousness to solve the biggest problems that we have both personally and as a civilization. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for your time, Cordell. And as, as, uh, as you mentioned, if you want to achieve that super conscious state, you can get in touch. I'm going to put all the links in the description and uh, enjoy your day, guys. It was, uh, it was a great time. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.